I have a doctorate in uh, vague movie <laughs> curses. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah, we teach a course in how to keep the magic alive in movies with plot holes by just coming up with vague <laughs> shit. Where do we teach that, Catherine? In my bed. In oh, non sexually, we all just hang out and we cuddle. But I don't we like cuddle to cuddle. And we have a we split a bottle of wine. You know, I take it back. I do not like touching humans. Uh, <laughs> I only. I only teach it to cats. <laughs> Cuddle with cats and tell them about <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I, that's my side hustle. <laughs> How do you make money doing that? I want to do that. I have yet to make money, but I. Um, oh, so you just steal cats. I sing to them and they come to me. Catherine. <laughs> Hello, I'm Robin. I'm Maddie Gray. And I'm Petrichor Bolsonaro. And you're listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast for... Oh my. Friendly? Okay. And I'm Petrichor Bolsonaro. And you're listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast for spooky dancing skeleton millennials. Where we... What do we do on this podcast, Catherine? What? Oh my god. This is what happens every week. Don't... This is how it's set up every week. Isn't it usually... Doesn't it have it written down? No, we... It's Rift. Where we watch your favorite childhood media and take it apart from an adult perspective. This week on Grow Up, we are doing a great movie. It's called Hocus Pocus. As the last part of our Grogtober. This is the final oh, one. Uh, Grogtober will never end. Grogtober lives on in your hearts. The final Grogdown. Why did we choose Hocus Pocus? Because it's the best movie that's ever been a movie. Oh. It is. Okay, yeah. Correct. <laughs> yeah. That's No, so- I I watched this with my friend Matt and his two roommates, uh Zach and Justin, and <laughs> the entire movie like Matt and and Justin were like, "No, this is not a very good movie." And Zach and I were both like, "No, it's clearly the best movie." Cuz I thought it wasn't going to be that good, and it was great. It's a great movie. It's I was very entertained. I know. I was very nervous that I wasn't going to like it. I wasn't it was nervous. <laughs> I was nervous because I love witch movies and I love Hocus Pocus. I wasn't nervous. Robin's never <laughs> been I, nervous. I'm. I was nervous because over the course of this podcast, there have been shows and movies that we have rewatched that I remember fondly from my childhood. Cough, cough, luck of the Irish. That watching as an adult... <laughs> are uh, scourges upon society. When you say cough, cough, I think of prostate exams. So that's <laughs> good, because that's what, what that's exactly what I that's was just doing. That's where I'm I was having a at now. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about some Bette Midler movie. Yeah. And I'm thinking about um, like an old doctor holding another old man's balls. Well, that's not a prostate exam. Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> which testicular exam. Which part do they say cough cough? I always for, imagine it. That's the balls, but yeah, for the for a hernia. <laughs> so Hocus Pocus is a 1993 Halloween movie. Uh, Stop. It was, it was released in Pause. July. Pause. Okay. Yes. You said 1993 without mentioning that. That's when Robin and I were born. <laughs> <laughs> released in july directed by <laughs> yeah that is the year you guys were born that you guys were bbs we would be um a month Months old a month and like a half old kenny ortega yeah kenny ortega directed this you say that as though you know who kenny ortega is who is kenny ortega? He, i do He's the guy who directed High School Musicals 1 through 3. And he was making, he was the director of the final Michael Jackson tour. Yeah, he was. He's been, when he died. He's directed like share tours as well. Yeah, but like, but it was a big deal because it was the one, he died in the middle of it or right before it started. Yeah, so he was like, 
everyone was talking to Kenny Ortega about his final days, and then he's in the the This Is It movie a lot. I don't know if he directed the This Is It movie, but he was definitely in it a lot, because he was the director of the tour. Gotcha. Yeah, he's got, like, a very diverse type of uh, filmography. Yeah. Kind of funny to go through. He did, like, Pretty in Pink and Dirty Dancing. Wow. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I didn't know yeah. that. I, I always oh, wow. hated Kenny Ortega growing up because I hated High School Musical, but this show has made me soft, this podcast. Yeah, can we talk about this really good cast? Amazing. Uh, of Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. Like a dream team. Excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. You listed that as if those were the best actors in this movie. I'll admit, no. I'll admit <laughs> Bette Midler. <laughs> okay. But the They're best, not the best actors in this no. movie, but they are the highest book. Excuse me. Like, yeah. The best actor in this movie is the guy who plays Jay the bully with long blonde hair. <laughs> It's true. The second I saw them, I was like, oh, the bully trope is so satisfying. It was we, me and Robin were watching it. And after that scene, I was like, that was just like a character study in the human psyche that I just watched his eyes during that entire scene. Honestly, his eyes were amazing. Like, so good. I just learned everything I needed to know about like philosophy. <laughs> I just what were their what were their names? It was like Ice and like Jay. Jay. Ice Jay and Jay. And Ice. But Jay is I the was, only one that matters. I know. I was so annoyed with Ice because I was like, let Jay talk. <laughs> <laughs> Jay is clearly the alpha male here. <laughs> Hollywood. Bullying is a theme that shows up, you know, rightfully, I think, in a lot of kids' media. But like, I think it's so funny the way that bullying is portrayed in these 90s films and 90s media as a whole just like they're so overtly bad where bullying is oftentimes like under the surface it's not always just like yo hollywood nice sneakers (laughs) hollywood i think it's definitely like played up in terms of the like name well, it did not prepare like me to understand what bullying actually was. But on the other hand, there are people who had experiences similar. To, like I was talking to somebody just yesterday who said that he was bullied in high school. And in high school, his bullies trapped him under a, like they put him in a soccer net, like pulled the poles down. And then his entire, oh God. his entire class threw balls at him. Oh my God. That is yeah. horrible. So like, People do get bullied to that extent and in that way. Yeah. Like, I think because we're female identifying mm-hmm. that the bullying we experienced was a lot different than like, so it always did seem theatric in movies, but I yeah. definitely know stories and I know people who have done awful things like this. Hey, Robin, do you want to tell us what this movie was about? There are these three witches who feed off of the energy, the light energy of young children, particularly virgins. They do so in the first scene. They feed off of the energy of a young girl. And then, like, the they turn a boy into a cat because they're witches and that's a thing that they do. They're hanged by the local townspeople before they do that. They, like, have a curse that says, when a virgin lights the candle... We're going to come back. And then 300 years later, a young virgin boy on Halloween night (laughs) lights the candle with a girl that he's been flirting with and his younger sister, who are both present. And the witches come back. The witches witches are back. And hell is unleashed. It's so good. It's really good. I thought I was going to hate it. And I was just. I thought this was going to be one. I thought this was going to be one of those movies that like on later viewing you just kind of roll your eyes and go okay huh kind of like luck of the irish which I, i'd never seen before but you know you, yeah you had kind of weird. yeah but this one i again i maybe don't feel quite so strongly about it as you two do but i still like thoroughly enjoyed it yeah it had so many good moments the comedy was just on point well, I think what we kind of kept mentioning and is the best part of this movie is the actors are 
140% committed. Oh, yeah. Where I remember we talked a little bit about um, 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 Carrie, Debbie Reynolds, that, like, she seemed like she was mostly there, you know, for but a little phoning it in, but, like, she just needed yeah. to be there, and it was great. Bette Midler mm-hmm. is living for this, and she's actually said that playing Winifred is, like, it was her favorite live-action role she has ever done, mm-hmm. and it shows. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. and it, all three of those witches are just fucking living for it, especially with, like, Mary and Winifred. Like, whenever they're talking and Winifred's going off on some rant, Mary's going, like, like, yeah, she's she's very quietly underscoring what she's saying and, like, complimenting her as she goes. It's so funny. And do you know that that's not something you can, like, script? It's something that they worked on, like, together. (laughs) And there's a moment in the movie where, like, uh, Bette Midler is going off about their plan and what it is, and then she like asks for confirmation back from them. And Kathy Najimy just like sits there and she compliments um, Winifred's character over and over about the way she told the plan. Yeah, and then Sarah <laughs> looks up and goes, "What?" Yeah, and because <laughs> the only two you really remember from growing up are Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, I remembered all three. I really liked Kathy Nichi. This time she was me. Mm-hmm. We just we you don't get to decide who you are. We decided I'm Mary, obviously. And <laughs> I'm always a Mary. And Robin, Sarah, Jessica Parker, and you're Does that make me Beth Midler? Yeah. Oh, I put a spell on you. God, that scene was better than I remembered. That was oh, so that good. scene was so good. Uh, what were the things that stuck out to you guys in this movie? Like, what kind of themes? I have to think because I was just having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to interrupt your fun. I mean, when I was watching the movie, I was not thinking critically. I was just having a lot Enjoying of fun. Enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, especially coming back from Labyrinth, which was also a box office flop that picked up mm-hmm. um, cult acclaim later. Yeah, and you can see why when you're watching it. Like we c- dug really deep last week into the weakness of the plot of Labyrinth that you wouldn't notice over like a casual viewing, but i'm sure we could over this movie as well but it's just so campy that what's the point to like yeah it didn't take itself nearly as seriously as the other movie yeah yeah i guess i was kind of comparing it to halloween town as i was watching it in my mind just because yeah in my like it as somebody who hadn't seen either of those growing up but who had seen them more recently as an adult they were kind of and have always been talked about hand in hand as like oh these are the two best you know October movies these are the two like these are some of the best like kids Halloween movies Halloween Town and Hocus Pocus but Hocus Pocus was so much more entertaining to me it was I thought Halloween it was way Town. better yeah I mean and I it, liked Halloween Town yeah they felt like they had a similar spirit which you know is of course like the October the Halloween spirit they had that celebration of of you know light-hearted evil <laughs> But yeah, Hocus Pocus just had so many good moments. And it was very yeah. fast and jam-packed with goodness. And like, mm. I didn't know the fact that the director was the director of uh, like High School Musical and uh, like the Michael Jackson tour you said. But it makes so much sense because he just kind of peppers in songs. Mm-hmm. And the they you know like much like a musical in a good musical when people are bursting out into song it's usually because the emotion you know like our our old director used to say the <laughs> the emotions of the scene are too strong to rely wor- simply yeah. on on spoken words you have to burst into song he was able to do that really successfully in this movie which you would not think Halloween movie musical. Like, yeah. they don't go hand in hand, per se, but it works so well. Were there any more songs than I Put a Spell the on beginning? You? The oh. one that you've been singing? Yeah. Oh, I mean, other than Sarah's siren song to the children. I think it's just those two where, you know, comparatively, Labyrinth had four or five songs. Right. 
I guess I never felt like Labyrinth's songs were just because again, yeah, Labyrinth was just so sectional, just this, then this, then this, then this. But mm-hmm. yeah. Hocus Pocus felt like a story that flowed. So when we hit that apotheosis, the I put a spell on you song, it works so well. And it was a very specific plot point. Like they used the songs in a meaningful way. The I put a spell on you was an actual spell that she put on the parents. And the siren song that Sarah sings lures all of the children to them so that they can suck their life out. I was reading about uh, Hocus Pocus as like a feminist text, you know, and mm-hmm. they were talking about how the Sanderson sisters are actually very adept. I'm They're silly because they're like afraid of roads and stuff. But when you stop and look at how long they survived that night, because we, we take that scene for granted because we've seen it so much since we were kids and it was like, it's like the best scene and you're just waiting for it to happen. But think about it that like, Max has gotten up in front of us on a stage in front of all the adults in the entire town and there's a light on them and people are screaming and they don't know what to do and they adapt so quickly and are just like, okay, we are going to do a full song and dance choreographed. I would argue that Winifred is capable of adapting adapting very quickly and very seamlessly and the other it's the others who kind of like they fall into place as soon as she gives them that leadership but well yeah i don't know it's, i agree with that in the sense that you use the word leadership but i think it takes like a team it, you have to have like in order to be a good team the followers also have to be good followers oh absolutely and they work as a very cohesive unit despite their uh three stooges kind of dynamic yeah they actually have success they they're really formidable opponents Ooh, should we talk about that forking bus driver (laughs) bubble bubble i'm in trouble yeah he was so easy yeah he was he was willing to give them children i kind of like him I mean, he's a he's like, a friendly guy, but like, dude, you're gonna get an STD. Yeah, absolutely. And you're gonna sleep with all three of these witches tonight. Get them all pregnant. You can do that. Sarah Jessica Parker is the you know sexually attractive one. Anytime someone was attracted to all three of them, because Winifred and Mary aren't like conventionally attractive, especially like in the nineties. Mm. I was I really liked that he was attracted to all three of them even though I Yeah, me too. Even though in the current climate I should be if if I was getting on a bus and a guy said that to me said bubble bubble yeah. maybe if I was dressed as a witch I would just be like ha ha ha. ha. <laughs> I was like, like if it was Halloween I'd probably laugh because that's a very clever turn of phrase. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if somebody was able to rhyme a couplet based off of uh my An old Shakespeare, yeah. like Macbethian couplet, like, <laughs> like I'd actually be very taken with. It. <laughs> um, I would like to believe that if they had been turned off by it, maybe he would have backed up. But also, he probably shouldn't have been hitting on them at work. Probably not. But they were so into it. Into it. So, and I don't want to deny them their sexuality like i don't either but he did go too far by letting sarah jessica parker sit on his lap and run over a cat yes but (laughs) i would say too far professionally not too far like he wasn't no he wasn't pushing her or something like that she wanted to sit on but also there was nobody else on the bus so professionalism she ran over a cat robin thackeray binks what a name, Thackeray. Oh, you guys, did you know that the entire movie, Thackeray Binks, was voiced over yes. by James Marsden? Like, even while he was a human, yes. they had him voice over. But, like, I read that before we watched it, and I was like, oh, yeah. That's definitely a different boy talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> conspiracy Corner. We haven't been to the conspiracy corner in a while i'll have to we really haven't actually settling in here watching this with robin i was immediately struck within the first minute that i think witches were created because people like thackeray binks 
You'll notice he ran to the support of a male friend at the beginning, and they're both wearing, like, night shirts, provocatively open. Um, uh-huh. So I think the Puritans were... All the men were gay in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And the women were either bored or free and thus became witches. So the advent of witchcraft was because all the men fell in love with each other. And were just boning all the time. Yes. Huh. What a theory. Yes. Though I don't know if witchcraft actually bloomed or blossomed in that climate or if people just used it as an excuse to kill their neighbors that they didn't like you know what's interesting uh sarah jessica parker was on the who do you think you are show where they go back and trace your genealogy (coughs) and she's like a direct descendant of a woman who was accused in salem but she didn't die and i think they said it was actually like the last woman accused in salem was yeah, that is very interesting. I want to talk about the fact that this movie is set in Salem because that is a different dynamic. And okay, also the way that this movie treat like it, it's in Salem, so the authors, the writers are obviously banking on our understanding of like the history of Salem as a place of witchcraft, mm-hmm. but they act like the most important part of Salem's history is these three witches that stole a child's soul. It is the most That's... important part. No, no, maybe we should talk about the genocide that occurred against Well, women. but, I mean, yeah, exactly. But, like, also, just historically, <laughs> the Sanderson sisters is not what Salem is known for, you know? Robin. They were trying to create a false sense of what Salem was known for, because you already know that there's yeah. witches in Salem. But then... And they were trying to recreate Salem's history for the context of this movie. And then, interestingly, that did become a part of Salem's history, and this year, for the the 25th anniversary of this movie, Salem, I guess, does a bunch of Halloween stuff, and so for their, like, opening parade of their Halloween festivities, they themed it Hocus Pocus. Oh, that's really cool. So it actually did become part of the history. What I don't love is that this hypothetical version of Salem really celebrates the killing of the witches. The Sanderson sisters are notoriously evil and we actually see them be very evil. They they kill a child and then they turn a boy into a forever cat. <laughs> they sew their boyfriend's <laughs> mouth shut. Yeah, they are bad ladies, but we as the audience are kind of endeared to them because of their three stooges qualities. But they're way more competent than those three stooges, I would I would argue. And they actually come quite close to surviving. It's Winifred who, at the very end, when she has that one bit of potion left, and she chooses revenge. She chooses going after Danny to make her life force the one that they yeah. suck out. When they have children approaching them from every very Voldemort of her. Very grandiose. Yeah, it is. It's hubris. It's like, my lord, uh, Peter Pettigrew standing right there. (laughs) Why not use his life force? Because I must have Harry Potter. It is. There's something about the fully evil trope, this villain, this archetype of, of, like, pure evil, this Voldemort, this Winifred, this uh, Ivan Ooze. Where they actually do end up going against their self-interests in in the interest of uh, making things poetic or doing things the way they want them to mm-hmm. happen. I mean, also, wasn't there something with... So, yeah, it's a very common weakness of villains to become obsessed with their protagonists. I wonder why that is. I mean, I wonder even in general why we think as like as creators and authors, why you know humans are so inclined to make the villain's mortal flaw that particular sort of laser focused on the protagonist yeah for instance, yeah because we see it over and over and over again like the, i'm thinking of the joker in batman right mm-hmm. who is infamous for his like desire for chaos just not caring at all but he becomes laser focused on batman. i'm like i don't even know that much about batman to be the honest. Batman. i don't know much about it so i could just be mm-hmm. but 
it's something that occurs i think very frequently like like just to make it pol political and current you know uh, and i hate i hate even uttering his name but like trump <laughs> as, as a villain doesn't focus on anything he doesn't he doesn't like laser focus he doesn't even have the ability to laser focus on anybody he just like scatterbrain does whatever comes to his mind and that is kind of what makes him so truly evil yeah and like yeah. somehow all of his impulses are to do the worst possible yeah, thing yeah i was also just even as you were talking about batman like moriarty and sherlock came to mind and so it's it is everywhere this mm -hmm. you're Example with Trump makes me skeptical that it's a good decision to give this laser focus because it seems like it might just be suiting the plot yeah. and there isn't actually a reason. That's not actually human to focus in on this guy because I do think that is a much more interesting, uh, not to make light of Donald Trump, but of what he's doing, but that is a much more interesting character of just he is so chaotic and so focused on what he wants that he will just do anything that comes to mind that gets him to ahead. Mm -hmm. Not just like, no, 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 it must be Hillary at like every turn, <laughs> you know? <laughs> though he does bring her up a lot. Yeah, though there is a little part of that because, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh brought up the Clintons at his confirmation hearing, which had nothing to do with his confirmation no, hearing. No, nothing at all. So it is odd how much they still bring up the And Clintons. the Obamas. But I don't know. And, and the Obamas. The Democratic and, I mean, yeah. it's, right. it's, it's just like a whole... Anybody who... The media. Presents a, a powerful opposition to them. To him specifically. He just... Like, again, it, he, he doesn't... Again, like... If it were just the Clintons, yeah, you could call it a focus, but it's like he has a an deep and intense hatred for Hillary Clinton, as well as Barack Obama, as well as, yeah, I mean, just like you could just go on listing all of the people that he has grudges against. Everyone, just literally everyone. And it makes me wonder if these depictions are actually very good for teaching you know, children, what to expect in the world. Like, the villains that we see have not turned out to be, like, the villains we have in everyday life as adults. And also because when Winifred is just obsessed with uh, Danny, I wanted to call her Marnie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> with Danny, because of that, when they're driving away and they don't do anything to stop all of these kids, I'm like, why aren't they doing something about that? Because first of all, innocent people. Second of all, if they get one of these kids, they're, they stay alive. That's exactly. But I yeah. think they know that she's going to come after Danny is what we're supposed to understand. And mm -hmm. when it's like that, when we're taught that like your enemies will keep coming after you and you'll have to keep fighting them, <clears throat> it can make us, I think, irresponsible when the villains in real life aren't coming directly after us when they're exactly. when they're passing legislation making it so native americans can't vote in north dakota like they're not coming right after us so we don't have the impetus to jump up and do something yeah might be a stretch but possibly i don't think that's a stretch i think that this kind of media kind of trained us to be like well they're not coming after me yeah, and I don't even think it goes through your head like that. I just think that no. we have a hard time registering evil unless it's coming directly after us and we need to fight back because that's what the heroes do. Mm -hmm. Did you know that Leonardo DiCaprio yes. was first cast as Max Dennison? Can you believe he passed up the chance to be in Hocus Pocus to be in What's Eating Gilbert Crane? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he, he must be looking back and being like, what, what an a idiot. Mistake. It's not like he got nominated for Oscar. I shouldn't have Oscar. played that Oscar-nominated character. <laughs> I should have played a uh, Thackeray Max of Max Dennis. A virgin. A I should have played a virgin in a yeah. movie with Bette Midler. That was also the best part of the movie. I would. It's It's a tie between the song and the virgin jokes. Yeah, what is that weird fixation on vir virginity in this movie? I don't get it. Virgins are cited so often in like 
our depictions of witchcraft, you know, it's like a blood of a virgin and stuff. And so it was kind of, it was interesting to take that reasoning from like the 1600s and then apply it now. See, I definitely think- And everyone's like, are you a virgin, (laughs) Max? (laughs) My parents growing up would have found that to have been a very contrary message to what they would have wanted me to grow up. So it's like, yeah, there's an obsession with virginity in like that 1600s sense, but like from the movie's perspective, though, from the perspective of we're supposed to be in on this with you, the fact that he's virgin is hilarious to even his little sister. Yeah. And like, so my... He's a virgin. (laughs) Yeah. So like my parents growing up would have been like, being a virgin isn't a bad thing, Robin. And, you know, like, (laughs) you know, so... yeah, there's that, but it, it's very different from what we, and that's the, that's kind of why I'm struck. That's kind of why I'm st- sticking on this. It's so different from what you see, uh, what we have seen even in a lot of other kids' media, where purity and virtue is supposed to be abstaining sexually, being like a good person, is you know. What do you think this movie is trying to say about virginity? I, see, I I don't think it's trying to make an explicit point about it. Honestly, um, I think it's. But I wish it yeah. was. But like, how is it used? It's in this, in this movie. It's used as like a the fact that he isn't a virgin makes him sort of a societally pariah in a way, almost. Yeah. If he had just had a one-off, nothing, fuck down in the old. Sorry, I was trying to be folksy and it just <laughs> fell apart. But yeah, if he had just like had a meaningless one-night stand his sister wouldn't have been almost murdered. That's true. I don't think it's what the movie is trying to say, but um, I'm allowed to decide what I think the movie's trying to say. <laughs> I'm, That's what we do. I'm God. That's what this podcast is about, yeah. is us deciding on yeah. behalf yeah. of the movies what they're trying to say. Yeah. So I almost, I want it to be saying that there is a virtue to being sexually active. That it's saying he's, what, like 16, 17 that it, it that is an age where it's okay to you know he meets this girl he yeah. really really likes and i do want to think on a deeper level it was it was actually saying that there is nothing wrong with yeah. sexual activity with someone that you care about at and point. i think there's all, all you know obviously sort of the growing up themes with like you said the girl that he's trying to date from the, like moving up it's there's a lot of transitions i guess like he just moved from los angeles which that's something that you see in a lot of kids media as well and i think it's just because it Mm -hmm. sets up the opportunity for a new story you don't have to have been somewhere you can like just put a character in somewhere new and it causes a lot of conflict um so it's you know a little bit easy but at the same time it represents a transition point a point where he needs to learn to grow into a new phase in his life you see him meeting a girl who is, you know, kind of out of his league and like everybody laughs at him when he tries to flirt at her, flirt with her in class, which I'm kind of monologuing at this point. But also that, that was, was so God. bold. Like everybody. Was. <laughs> that was so bold. And girl clapped back by just handing it right back to him. <laughs> that was so good Dude. i was like did she just give him her number that is so like he did not deserve that number and then he opened it up and it was just his and i was like yeah oh, so good <laughs> so good <laughs> she's really cool yeah she's great can we talk about the dynamic of this little so we have two threesomes in this whole movie we have let's not use that word uh okay fine (laughs) trios we have the witches and then we have allison max and danny a thruple yes why not much like us so we see like the evil triangle on one side with the like head villain and her two henchmen Mm. and then we have on the other side the damsel in distress who is actually max yeah and his two saviors who are his little sister and Allison because in this movie like he's the princess he's the virgin who lit the candle he's the one that although the witches come after Danny more often he's usually the one that gets in trouble or like 
he's the one that at the end makes the sacrifice that, you know, the pure one at the end always has to make. I mean, putting this in like this very similar to Labyrinth, that it's an older sibling who makes a bad choice that gets mm-hmm. the smaller, the little sibling in trouble. So in the way that she was a kind of damsel in distress, even though she was taking care of herself and living her own adventure, Max is mm-hmm. in the exact same role. I thought of something about Labyrinth earlier and I forgot to say it. Mm-hmm. Talking about the sexuality, we had the opposite representation in Labyrinth where that is very mm. much also about growing up and it's like a metaphor for coming of age. And she has that fairy dance scene where it's supposed to be her sexual yeah, awakening. Yeah. But but it is portrayed confusingly as... <laughs> um, a distraction and taking Mm -hmm. her away from her duties of taking care of her uh, younger brother. So it's shown very negatively. And then in this movie, if we're going to take this, like virginity is the thing that got him in trouble. It's the opposite. And we also have an opposite gender here. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, societally. We do have an analysis of male virginity in this movie that we that's so interesting that that's the thing that's mocked and like in every movie when it's a female virgin it's always like that's what you should be that's how you should be all Mm -hmm. the time forever Mm -hmm. but a man should know what he's doing yeah that's pretty gross that's some toxic masculine bullshit in this movie yeah like if it had been a girl it would have been a weird twist like even the random adult on the street made a point to be like hey you come here are you a virgin? That's so funny. <laughs> like, no adult should ask any young teenager that question. Yeah, that's yeah, really not an appropriate question. <laughs> oh my god. But the fact that, like, they're both dudes means, like, he can weigh in on it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's society. You mentioned Yabos earlier. Yeah. I lost my shit, like, when we were watching that. Because we were watching it, and I suddenly was like, oh, my God, I remember what she's going to say. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I would have killed her. I would have killed her. And she she doesn't just stop at yabos. She goes, Max likes your yabos. Loves them, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, because she knows that because she um, watched him Max up his pillow. Bed. Yeah. So <laughs> when I was watching it with um, that group of boys that I watched it with, they were like, he definitely did not just hug that pillow. <laughs> that is his masturbating pillow. <laughs> he was definitely humping that pillow and his sister watched. When... <laughs> So, Robin has a uh, history on this podcast of hating the trope of, like, the uh, troublesome younger sibling. When (laughs) Danny jumped out of the closet, he screamed, No! (laughs) 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 You're so mad. But this this movie does try to subvert that uh, archetype, but still, (laughs) you lost it. We haven't even talked about Billy the zombie. <gasps> Billy is uh in this movie is uh Winifred's ex-lover who had an affair with Sarah, her little sister, and she sewed his mouth shut and buried him alive, I believe. Y- yeah. And the entire movie he just spends chasing the children in order to help them and by the time by the time he gets to them, he's no help. Yeah, wait. What does he do uh, in the end? He does nothing. He he ends up getting his head knocked off by Winifred, and then Danny goes chasing it, and then she gets caught by Winifred. Yeah, so Danny. really, dumb fuck. He ended up being an inconvenience more than anything else. But he was fun. <laughs> oh, you know what I want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the major plot hole. I almost took a I almost took a spit take. Yeah, there's a huge old plot hole. Let's hear it. So Thackeray Banks is voiced over by James Marston, yes? Yes. And uh which means he does have indeed a voice. No, I know the answer to this. Tell me. He can only speak to the ones that were present when the uh black flame candle was lit. Fuck. 
he can only talk to those three. Where where does it say that? Um, I was just reading it as a theory because you don't hear him talk until the candle's lit and you only see him talk to those three. That's true, because I was wondering why when Danny was like, no, this cat, he talks. Why doesn't he just go, yup, I talk? Because <laughs> he can only talk to the ones who are present. Oh, that's super interesting. Well, doesn't he talk to the zombie? I think maybe... The zombie is a let's... product of the magic as well, however. No, I don't accept that. Because he can also talk to the witches. So he can talk to, like, magical creatures. He can talk to the witches because they're the ones who cursed him, though. But I want this to work. And you're giving I'm me just saying back. that he was like, meow, meow, meow to his dad. But he was like, good job, asswipe to Max Dennison. Because Max Dennison had just lit the black flame candle. And he also didn't talk to Max before he lit the black flame candle. He didn't jump in and say, hey, asswipe, don't. Yeah, like he that. jumped don't and bit that. him in the don't neck. Don't do that, asswipe. He did. He bit his Which neck. Which means he couldn't talk to him at that Gay. point. Yeah. And, like, if a cat could talk to human beings... <laughs> he definitely didn't say asswipe. I have to clarify that. I just made that up. And then, furthermore, like, if the cat could talk to human beings, he's been alive for 300 years. For the past 300 years, he would have, like... That's the fuck what I was saying, was that, like, the entire time he could have just been like, hello, any asswipe, hello, I'm a talking cat. Well, so, there obviously, are it's the product Nobody of the Nobody light this candle. And the, candle. the witch's relation to it. Mm-hmm. It must be. Okay, I accept that because it was really a bug in me. Let's take it as like when the m- magic of the three witches who are who cursed him when that touches somebody else like when it affects Max and the other two who are present and then the z- Billy falls under that as well because he was cursed by uh, Winifred. So he could- and the parents would fall under that as well because the I put a spell on you song oh. cursed or put a spell on them, but there was no opportunity yeah. for him to speak in front of them. But by our reasoning, he would be able to talk to any of those he people. He would theoretically be able to talk to those people. Yeah. What else did Thackeray Binks mean in terms of this movie? He was the eternal being watching over to make sure that the evil didn't escape. And that actually shows up a lot in stories. My favorite thing about Thackeray Binks is the parallel between him and his Emily was his little sister's yeah. name. So he he cannot save Emily and has to live 300 years with this guilt. And I identified with that a lot <laughs> of not being able to stop certain things and thinking it's your fault and just hanging around for 300 years thinking about it. And uh even though I believe it was not his fault, I understand that it is human nature to assume it is. And it's, like, impossible to get rid of that guilt because it's nonsensical. Um, and so in that way, it was kind of an allegory for him finding peace by helping it not happen again with uh, Max and Danny. And then he mm-hmm. literally gets to pass on after that and be with his sister. Yeah, and this is a world where we actually see the kind of personifications of heaven and hell, both. We get the impression from the witches that they've actually traveled to hell, that hell is a place that they have met the master before. And it was And we lovely. never spoke about that scene. That was a weird forking scene where some random man invited three women into his house while his wife was watching TV. Yeah, that is super yeah, awkward. Sucks. Holy cow. <laughs> And there's this really sad moment where, like, she decides to go upstairs for bread, for bed, for bread. Um, that's what I bread in bed. That's why I go upstairs. <laughs> and she comes down and she's like, Arnie, I lost five pounds according to the bathroom scale, and sees her husband dancing with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, that is and really she's like, sad. Nope, that's not happening. Nope, it's it's played off for laughs, but if that you had had a moment to let that sink in, like it hurts. Yeah, no, they are definitely getting divorced. I would hope so because like she's really excited. She lost five pounds. That's a lot of weight. In yeah, between... that's a lot of weight in between weights. Yeah, that's a lot. Like I would be well. I don't weigh myself, but if <laughs> I did, I would be excited. And then your partner is with a much younger woman, and it... the nihilism's kicking in, guys. 
Uh oh, uh oh, here comes nihilism. Courage is courage is knocking on our door. It's just like, why do anything then? You're meaningless. Your husband's never gonna pay attention to you again because you're not young, which is something out of your control. Because I never asked to exist. Okay. I accidentally got drunk and started saying this stuff to my dad last weekend. Oh no! I was yelling at him that I never asked to exist. I'm remembering this now. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And for listeners, uh, you heard Catherine's dad's take on uh, Halloween. What was it? Mormonism. On Labyrinth last. (laughs) No, it wasn't Labyrinth. It was Halloween Town. I, yesterday, starting another show, I saw a friend I hadn't seen since I was an intern. So it's been like two years. And, um, he was stressed out because he had like messed up at something and was like trying to avoid it and joking about it and he was like oh it's just another thing i messed up on and i was like dude none of this matters and like (laughs) gave him my like big speech of how (laughs) nothing we do matters and like all of tomorrow no one will fucking remember because life is chaos especially our job and he like afterwards was like You've changed. (laughs) (laughs) You should be like, because I watched Courage the Cowardly Dog. And my job just has really fried No, it's because of our podcast, Catherine. (laughs) It's because of the podcast. It's because of the podcast. Because we're friends and we do a podcast. I wouldn't mind talking just a little bit more about Thackeray Banks. Because he plays sort of a, a guardian angel role. But I also kind of view him, if if we're looking at if we are, which who said we are? Me, just now. (laughs) Suckers. If we're looking at it like as though, you know, this is sort of a transition story, a growing story, which honestly, all stories are. That's kind of the whole point of stories is to articulate character growth, really. I'm rambling again. But if we're to look at it in that perspective... Thackeray Binks also kind of plays the role of a psychopomp in a way. A what? What do you mean? Uh, so like a psychopomp is sort of a, a, a spiritual guide who, like usually their role is to carry a person from one, like from life to death, but it also has connotations of like carrying a person from one phase of life to another, a guide essentially. And while Thackeray is helpful in in. It's like a little bit helpful in most of the situations. He doesn't really ever have some like big, where like for instance, Sarah Jessica Parker has her ability to lure people and the other one has the ability to smell people. Like a lot of the characters have a big sort of specialty. Thackeray Binks is more just kind of there to support them and guide them through this situation of their own doing, their own making and their own resolution. He tried to stop them from going on this journey, too. They, he tried to chase them out of the house before Max could light the black flame. Yeah, I really candle. like that. What does that say? He's the guardian. He's that the guardian. The one in charge of making sure this doesn't yeah, but happen what, again. What does it Even... say that the guardian didn't want this story to happen to them? It's a huge self-sacrifice. Because I'm sure within that 300 years, the idea has come to him that if they come back, there is a chance he could not be a cat anymore. Yeah. Yeah, but he is so guilt-ridden and duty-driven that he just hangs out next to this house and makes sure it doesn't happen eternally instead of going off and living a cool cat life. Yeah, like he even says at the end, uh, at the very end, like the conversation between him and the young sister who adopts him, he says, you're going to turn me into a fat Fat lazy cat or something. Fetid house cat. House cat. Domestic cat or something. And she goes, yes, I am. And then he goes, hee hee. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a. S- and they frolic off into like the he sunset. He could have been living a comfy life. He could, like, he understood. He could have had those creature Especially comforts. Especially because the spell that Winifred cast when they died was that a virgin would light the black flame candle on Halloween on a full moon. And do you know how often that happens? Not very often. More often than you'd think. That happens like. Uh oh! <laughs> no, like once every thirty years. Let's find out. No, the last one was like in 1974, and the next one is in 2020. Let's Wait. Find out. 
That's how are you? Years, how are you even but, capable of doing the math for a virgin lighting a black flame candle? There are no black I didn't flame do the candles. Math for the virgin. Um, you don't know. Google uh, is arguing with your claim, Madison. Go ahead. Tell me what it says. It says the moon being full on Halloween happens on an average of every eighteen to nineteen years. Ooh. The last time the moon was full was on October thirty first, two thousand one. <gasps> when is the next time? Uh, 2020. Ooh. I was right about that one. That's very soon. I know. That's uh, right before the presidential election. We should go light the black flame candle. We should absolutely light the black flame candle. Except for the black flame candle brings evil, and I feel like we shouldn't do that. I mean, maybe they'll eat all the children. Yes, because we are all virgins. We haven't at all talked about... um the ending with max sacrificing himself for his sister <laughs> okay well now we have <laughs> i'm trying to think about how i feel about it because like in this movie you expect it you expect him to do something but in that other movie in labyrinth nothing that character could do could redeem her to me <laughs> did she ever actually i know she doesn't because she never at one point says like would you rather have me because in the no. novelize it was either in the novelization or one of the screenplays that didn't make it and they and they wrote the novelization after the movie right he at one point the goblin king says i would rather have a queen than a prince uh-huh. so it's that offer was made to her yeah and she didn't take it she was still like nah I'm going to now come get my brother, which is the opposite of this. Yeah. Of when Max he makes a self-sacrifice, when he sees his opportunity to switch fates, he takes it. Even if it's only a short term fix, much like what we'll be talking about next week. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. It's been hard to hold myself in. I've seen many illusions. <laughs> Wait, like, what are we doing? Like... <laughs> oh my god, you don't know. <laughs> no, I was trying to set you up. Yeah, I was gonna... trying to set you up for the big reveal. Next week, we are doing. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Harry Potter? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, just so that everybody knows, we're doing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2. The movies. The movies. Yes. Um, which is very different media from the books. Yeah. Maybe sometime down the line we will do a book. chapter or two from a book. But we will see. In the meantime, we are doing the movies of the last book. All right, let's do a closeout so Catherine can go to brunch. I have to go to brunch. This and every episode features the song Enthusiast by Tools. To make a suggestion, tweet the name of your favorite television show, movie, book, or video game to at GrowThePodUp with a brief message about why it was meaningful to you. You can also send us a voice message with your suggestions to GrowThePodUp at gmail.com. Share a personal story, a fond memory, or a funny little anecdote around one minute long and... With your permission, we'll share your message on the air. You've been listening to Row Up, a Saturday morning podcast with Robin Coppel. Maddie Gray. And Petricor, both goss and poor. Like what you hear? We hope so. <laughs> if you do, please leave us a review on iTunes or on our Facebook page. If you really like us, please share our podcast with your friends, donate to our podcast, or follow us on your favorite social media platform. We are at GrowThePodUp on Twitter instagram tumblr and facebook join us next time for our very special election themed episode in which we will be watching harry potter and the deathly hallows parts one and two